Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Catherine Coldiron, whose work has appeared in Miss, The Washington Post, The Times Literary Supplement, LARB, The Rumpus, and many other places. Her novella Ceremonials is forthcoming from Kerpunkt Press in 2020. Find her at... <laughs> it's here. <laughs> it has forecome. Um, you can find her on Twitter at Fairy Frigida. Christopher Higgs lives in Los Angeles with his wife and son, where he teaches narrative theory and technique at California State University, Northridge. Welcome them. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Skylight, for having me, and thank you all for coming this evening. Um, it has forthcome. I'm going to read just a short passage, not even a whole chapter, um, to save all of our time. Which one are you going to do? I'm going to do um, a piece of Seven Devils, so starting on page 76. You can follow along. Okay. Okay, so the chapters are all narrated by different people, um, and this one is uh, Amelia's. No one sings like me, they say, at the labyrinth. They come and tell me this when I descend to the floor. I let them put their hands on me, and then I follow the bowl. The bartenderess tosses me a, t a ball of string some nights, and I unravel it around the bed to ward off devils. I make rings of it. It leads nowhere. I can still hear the band from there, the piano notes moving in a slow arc. What goes up the scale must come down again. Lately they have been singing with me. Nothing of you, your bright blue eyes, once, only once in someone else's face at the back of the crowd, but I hear them between the notes. They know Gershwin too, I guess. A matter of time until I see them too. The labyrinth is not home. I repeat myself again and again, night after night, sing and fuck and sleep and sing and fuck and sleep. The eternal return, perhaps, years of it. They grow louder, I cannot ignore them forever. Nothing appears to save me, no beacon to show me the way. I repeat myself, I repeat myself. They whisper all around me. They live in the air of my apartment, between the threads of my pillowcases, in the molecules, in the wires, under my hair. Did you know this too? Did you hear them, smell them, see them on the walls and windows of our very own room before you stepped into the lake? Did they sing? Or did you ever know this music? You never knew a man's touch, a mother's love, the shudder of an accelerator under your instep. I mourn for what you missed. I think of you wistfully these days, lost, that mind and heart, opportunities unrealized. It's me who lived, me beaconless. I don't understand. I don't want to leave this place. The merest possibility that this is home. Thank you. Oh my gosh, okay, well listen, <laughs> I had a plan, but I'm gonna throw it out. Why, uh, <laughs> a 
of all of all of the spots you could have dipped into, what drove you to that tonight? Um, so everyone that I've talked to about this book thinks that it's about something different. Huh. And I love that. Yeah. Um, my friend Jesse thought it was about grief. And my friend Marissa thought it was about love. And, um, and so on. I think, I don't remember what you said you thought it was about. Um, about 120 pages. <laughs> but um, for me, what it's about is home. Oh. That's kind of the heart of it for me. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't mean if you read the book that you have to, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's more just that's the way that I wrote it. And so this chapter, more than any of the others, invokes home as an idea. So Interesting. That's where home is? Well, it's the next. There's this, there's this italicized. I can read it. If yeah, you please. Want. Okay. Um, so I just have to read the whole next two pages. I'm sorry. That's all right. Okay. It may be a dream, may all be, from then to now, maybe. But I call Cleo and convince her to lend her car indefinitely. And I go indomitable across desert and meadow, across land and sea. But at the end of the road, instead of something, is nothing. The school is in ruins, and the forest is raised, and the lake is dry. Or, this is the truth in my heart, and when I travel, I find instead that the baccalaureate still sings today, that the directress in her gray shroud still holds sway on the unfortunates in the empty pews, and the great curving oak guards you from harm and meddling well into the next century, after all of this should have been melted down and reformed into bright plastic and hidden wires. The Cartwright School is eternal, and Amelia is the ruin. Or, that is the truth in my mind, and I never left my bed. They await me still. Cleo's car idles below in the street. Come home, oh, come home. Chase it through the valves and valleys of your heart, the folds and furrows of your mind. Chase home, chase family, chase what lies behind you until you find the past on its ground and all the past through the forest decay to nothing around your deathless heart. See what is real. Under your fingers, through your pupils, light striking the rods and cones and projecting the truth as it exists in the ephemeral now, directly on the tissues of your brain. Perception's rot can follow in its own perpetual chase, but in the meantime, for that sliver of a life, you will have seen it. That paragraph. Oh. See, this is something that's really interesting to me. I'm fascinated to hear you talk about um, uh, narrative point of view. Okay, because um, one of the things that's really interesting to me is uh, for much of the, uh, the book, I have no idea when the narrator is. Okay. And so because I don't know when the narrator is, it's this really kind of interesting sort of dreamlike. There's a thing that happens toward the very end, and I want to say that it's, how do you pronounce her name? Corisande? Corisande. Corisande. Yeah. It's, I believe it's her chapters, the final chapter. Um, yes, it is. And she had the opening line of that is, there is no line between the future and the present. And that got me because in many ways it seemed as if we're in the past, we're in the future. And I was kind of trying to locate, you know, usually when you're reading something, you can tell where the speaker is. They're speaking about the past or they're speaking about the present. And for me, it just kept fucking up. It was like glitching. Yeah. And I, and I dug that. But so I guess I'm wondering, is it home then when she is with, the writer. Or oh, when she's with B. Is that the location of the narrator? Um, I don't know if that question has an answer, Chris. All like, right. I, I feel like, because <laughs> I just said to Toby Carroll that I felt like 
because time doesn't work for ghosts, time doesn't work in this book either. Okay. Okay. So I thought about, okay, so the stories that Coruscant is going to tell, some of them are going to be in the past. And the stories that Amelia tells, most of them are going to be in the present or leaning towards the future. Oh, even um, in terms of your verb choices. Yeah. Okay, go, sorry. Maybe. I yeah. don't know. No, it is. I it might is. have, I might have, like, fast and loose with the verbs. You didn't, and I was, I was very happy about it. You go know me. how I am. Yay, okay. Um, yeah. uh, so... I, I mean, the last chapter d- definitely does not take place in a particular time, except okay. for the moment when they see each other. Okay. Okay. I don't think I answered your question. No, you did. You did in a <laughs> way, but I'll, I'll circle back to it. Okay. So you said when you first started speaking that it's that there are different narrators for each chapter. Yeah. I got a pattern. What is it? Amelia, Amelia, Coruscant, Coruscant. Amelia, 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 Coruscant, I cannot wait to talk to you about 10 <laughs> because I think 10 is a chorus, like yeah, a great you're chorus right. of is. like ghost, ghost chorus. Yeah. So we got to hear about that. that right. Everybody needs to read at least that part before you leave tonight. Um, and then Amelia and then Coruscant. Am I wrong? What did I miss? You Are there miss other? No, okay. no. The idea is, that, I mean, for some people, a book that is narrated by three different narrators is crazy. Oh. You know, for you, that's like whatever. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So, okay, now I've already brought it up, so now's the time. Talk to me about 10. <laughs> okay. Someone else asked me whether 10 was a Greek chorus, and uh-huh. I said no. Oh. Because to me, Greek choruses offer commentary and wisdom. Okay. And the ghost girls are so, like, they're so trapped in their own little loop. Yeah. That I don't think that they're offering wisdom. They're more offering, like, a perspective. Okay. You know, we see the Cartwright School for what it is. And, and also, I kind of... You know, in this chapter is like the sensual chapter, and I wanted um, someone other than Amelia or Coruscant to narrate them, you know, having ghost sex. Oh, okay. That seemed well, like a good idea. <laughs> okay. So talk about switching between those uh, narrative POVs. Are you conscious that you're trying to make sure the voice sounds different each yes. time? Yes. I don't think I did a very good job, but um, yes. For me, Coruscant is kind of like... She's a lot more like my natural voice okay. because she's sort of exacting and um, more humorous. Okay. Um, and Amelia is so wrapped up in her emotions. Like, of course, on's the brain and Amelia's the heart. Okay. And so Amelia is a lot less comprehensible a lot of the time because she's just so, like, stuck in her own heart. Okay. Um, whereas Coruscant is like, let me analyze this situation. Okay. She's su- super aware of everything. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I mean, part of the problem is that because Amelia is um, obsessive, it's really hard to step outside of your own obsessions to narrate them to anybody in a way they're going to understand. And I had that in mind when I was writing her chapters. Is it important to you that her voice when she's younger is different than the voice at the end when she's older? That doesn't matter. I mean, a little, not really. Just in the beginning, she's trapped in grief. And by the end, she's kind of out of it. So. Well, um, I am curious to hear about a couple of things. So now I'm going back to the plan. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Chris's plans are great, you guys. So, well, we don't know about that yet. Um, so the obvious thing, the connection, the, 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 the ekphrastic of it all. 
the connection with, with the Florence and the Machine album and so on. I'll just tell you this. I've spent a good deal of time with this book. I've spent very little time with Florence and the Machine. Um, I basically sort of put it off and put it off and put it off until <laughs> last night. <laughs> Uh, and honestly, I didn't, I honestly didn't even want to listen to it last night, but I forced myself to oh, do it. Oh, that's so funny. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I started playing it, got halfway through the first song and turned it off. Because I couldn't why? do it. Be, I'll tell you why. Because I, because I had this, I, I built this whole idea about this book. And one of the sort of, you know, sort of slam dunks, uh, for me, in the text, is the way that you bookend the, the concept of concentration. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that to me is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so that to me is like you're creating this sort of chamber for the narrative to take place in, and I'm, I'm there. But then that comes up in the freaking music. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want, because it started to explain it to me. Oh. And you know I'm allergic to Yes, that. I was just, of course. If yeah. it explains it to you, then no, you wouldn't want yeah, to yeah, listen. Yeah, I didn't want that. No. So maybe talk a little bit. What is it? Do, do you need, obviously you don't need to listen to the music to appreciate and enjoy the book. And, and what is it about, first of all, what would you say to an audience member who has read neither the book nor listened to the, the album? What's that process like? And I got a few more on that. Okay. Um, my hope is that the book stands on its own. Okay. I don't know that it does. It's it's almost impossible for me to determine that. Yeah. Um, I like to think of the two works of art as leaning on each other, like like cards. Okay. Um, because, and, and I was reminded recently of um, House of Leaves and then Poe's album Haunted because yeah. they're siblings. And yeah. so the album and the book are sort of, they don't, have a lot to do with each other, but they came out of sort of sibling brains out of the Absolutely. same family. So um, I, I like to think that you can um, enjoy the book without knowing anything about the record, um, but I'm not ever going to say that the book is, that it it wasn't, ins I mean, it was inspired by the record and its lyrics and its music. Yeah, yeah. So the relationship between them, I hope, is not, you know, unbearably symbiotic. Okay. I like to think of it more like, um, I think I think of it like a, an ephrastic. You know, yeah. you can read a poem and not see the painting, but when sure. you see the painting, sure. some of the poem becomes clearer. If you don't want it to become clearer, yeah. then God forbid you look at the painting. Right, right, right. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certain, th so, you know, there's... Well, and the, one other thing yeah. I'll say about this, I remember when you read it for the first time, you emailed me, and I was like, I don't know what this book was about. Like, <laughs> I was so confused. I love being confused, and you confused me. Good job. Yeah. And I was like, y you know about the album, right? And you were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, if you want a clue. Yeah, but see, I don't want that kind of clue. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. So there's 12 tracks on the album. Yeah. There's 12 chapters in the book. Is there a one-to-one -one correlation? Yeah. Oh, there is. Yes. Okay, so in terms of sort of structuring, you were thinking, you were taking it piece by piece by I was, piece. yes. Okay. Are these characters, because again, I have to f plead ignorance, are these characters part of the album, or did you conjure them up? No. I heard kind of ghosts and a school and death and love and betrayal and all this stuff yeah. in the album. And so I made up this story to go along with it. Okay. Okay. Because I was telling a buddy about this. And uh, and he was like, uh, oh, is it kind of like one of them 33 and a third books? No. No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. 
it's not a direct en- it's a weird to talk about it's, it is a direct engagement yes. it's not a critical engagement no, it's more of yeah. a yeah i mean i feel like 33 and a third is more analysis yeah and this is just like a I'm making a gesture like my like something is growing out of my head for those of you listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it is important to you to keep some kind of I don't know what the is it fealty? What's what's the right word that you want to be? Sort not of fealty, affinity for affinity. sure. Affinity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, fealty, I think, is not. Okay. Okay. And is that coming through in terms of content, in terms of storytelling, and so on, or is it mood and mood. feeling? Okay, mood. And atmosphere. And, again, inspiration. Like, I keep using the word inspiration over and over, but that's that's how I think of it. Okay. Yeah, because, um, you know, I I think another thing that, that turned me off of the music <laughs> was that you had created a sound in the text. Oh. And that, and I don't just mean sort of in terms of your syntax with your sentences, which that does that, yes. But you have this weird, creepy thing that you keep doing with whispering. <laughs> It's like whispering, there's whispering, there's always whispering. And I kind of felt like I was constantly being whispered at. So you were kind of creating this ambient sound that was Ooh. dragging through. That's cool, I'm um, glad. But I, so I, you know, again, I didn't hear that in the music. And so I was just like, I don't, it was a really interesting sort of relationship for that me. That is interesting. I, I wonder if, I wonder if you had heard the album first, if you would not be able to enjoy the book. Yeah, I know. That's I know. a bad thought. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if it's a bad thought. Interesting. It is interesting. You should ask more people that, if they've heard the music first. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know, but Florence and the Machine is is a little better known than I am. So Honestly, I didn't know who they were until you said. Well. For real, I didn't. You're a special case. Well, I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Caitlin knew who they were. My wife knew who they were. Yeah. Um, All right. Oh, goodness. There's uh, a few different interesting things. So why not just uh, hit this, uh, the gender and sexuality thing? So there's this interesting thing where in the middle of the book, it's okay if I do spoiler type stuff. Yeah. Okay. So in the middle. (laughs) If you guys haven't read it, that's In the middle of the book is this part that that you read from where she she, she gets hooked up. There's a drug thing that leads her to this dude who's a minotaur figure. Yes. The bull. The bull. Malcolm. And um, there's a moment where she's sort of, Amelia, the, what I presume is like the main, main, character. main narrator, she's fantasizing about the bull's body, but Coruscant's face, right? So there's this interesting sort of gender fuckery going on. Uh-huh. Um, and then later it's mirrored again because she takes this job. She needs some dough. So she takes a job like... Um, uh, typing. Uh, t- types, t- uh, d- just typing. Just type. Somebody sends her manuscripts and she types it up. And then she's working for this person that she thinks a dude called B something or other. B. Wasserman. B. Wasserman. And so she presumes that it's a dude, and she sort of calls the writer out because the, they, they wrote a book that was like, I don't know, the, the female character wasn't believable or something. So they meet up, and then they sort of hook up. And it's a woman, it's not a dude. So there's like this really interesting like messing with expectations of gender, messing with desire and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you made that connection. I did not have that in mind, that oh. there's, there's gender fuckery with the... Because, oh God, I'm admitting this to a room full of people. Um, the the idea of having a man's body and a woman's face, like, 
I'm bisexual. Yeah. That would make me happy. Okay. Um, because you've got sort of the, the, yeah, I'm not going to say anymore. I see. Um, and I've got it. <laughs> and the, the B. Wasserman thing is just like practicality. You know, so many women writers did that. Yeah. Um, in the, in the whenever time that this book is set <laughs> right. in the early 20th century. Yeah. Um, especially if they were writing genre books, which Wasserman is. Yeah. So, I mean, those two things were not connected for me. And I love that there's a connection between them. That's yeah. great. I love yeah. it. Okay. But for me, one is sexual desire and one is practical. What, you mean practical with the writer? Yeah. Because why? Well, because she couldn't publish these books as Beatrice Wasserman. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, I was thinking about it just, I guess, through Amelia and her relationship. Oh. No, I, hmm. I think, um, so maybe this will help. Uh, my friend Dolly defines herself, and I, I seized on this phrase, as an unsuccessful bisexual. Okay. Because she has continually dated men, and she's married to a man, and that is how I am as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a sad lot. And I really, <laughs> I really wanted to swap that. Like, I wanted there to be um, this character who has, you know, almost exclusively dated women, and then she's got this one dude, and that's it. Yeah. And um, I really, I, I really wanted that idea. So I think... The fact that B. Wasserman is a woman is more like, oh, I can be attracted to this person now instead yeah. of just being like, this is a guy who wants my time. Fuck okay. this guy. Okay. That's interesting. What, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we get the uh, Coruscant's death from Coruscant. Correct. We do not get it from Amelia. What's up with that? How else are you gonna? Here? Well, how else are you gonna know she's a ghost unless okay. she can narrate her own death and okay. actually be aware of it? Okay. Because to so, me, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was um, what's the word? It was a utility. It was a function of the sort narrative. of. Okay. Sorry. I mean, I, I felt like I, I got. To, I mean, the other thing is I got to write that great last paragraph mm. of that chapter that I love, <laughs> of like. Um, they they said she was very cold until eventually I was colder and you know I wrote that and I was like yeah this is good in in Coruscant's voice yeah. I didn't want to change it. Interesting. Also, I feel like Amelia's the death from Amelia's perspective would just be an animal scream of grief okay. as opposed to an actual description. Okay, but see that seems to be part of it as well, and that's maybe you know one of the reasons why you're getting people saying that they think it's about different things is it, you know the layers of complexity are there. Right? I hope which so. is impressive in a small amount of space. But in order to do that, you know, you've got to sort of be ambiguous. And of mm. course, that's one of the, the delicious things for me is, it, you know, indeterminacy, ambiguity. Are you conscious as you're constructing? Like, do you swerve away from, do you swerve toward ambiguity? No. Or just happen that No. Way? This book, unlike most of the other things I've written, I wrote this book almost in a trance. Okay. I was kind of, I was interested in, in making the language as, as narrow and small as I could, even removing like articles yeah. and, and helping verbs, just yeah. making it as, you know, almost incomprehensible as it could be. And I think that doing it that way on a craft level is going to lead to um, ambiguity yeah. because, you know, if you're fucking with syntax, that means that the reader can go, wait, what does yes. she mean? Yes. Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. Ah, <laughs> um, excited about that. Yeah. But, uh, if I was trying to be deliberately ambiguous, then I don't think the book would be any good. Okay. Um, I think it's more like I have an idea in my head of what it is, but leaving it more open means that I get 
awesome interpretations from readers yeah. who say that it's about grief and love. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Cool. Yeah. Okay, I have a time question. Okay. If I may. Are you going to call on the fact that there are no jukeboxes in the 30s and... No, that's not what I'm talking about. Because um, there aren't. It's an anachronism. No, that's not, what I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that you, like, it's very interesting in that you span a whole great big swath of time, but then you also have these, like, extremely accelerated moments. Like, there's this moment on page 45, which would be in chapter, for those following at home, oh. chapter V, which if I guess if you read Roman, it's five. Um... And this is in uh, uh, Amelia's point of view. What page? Uh, page 45. Okay. Can I hear you on Carol the Great, that yeah, paragraph? Sure. This okay. paragraph. And just for those who are listening, the way that the narrative is just so sped up. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Carol the Great did not marry anyone. She did not become anyone's mother. She got into a car with three college boys, and they raped her, all of them, and dumped her at a quarry outside of town. The fall fractured her skull, and no one found her for a day or so. This was Saturday night, one of so many Saturday nights in small towns with fast boys and jalopies. And she was never right after that. Her hands built crooked crafts of thread and wood instead of embroidering flowers on heirloom linen. Her mouth could only mumble. She sat alone in a facility for four years and then had a seizure and died. And again, no one found her for a day or so. It's like a little prose poem. It's like pop, it's so tight why does this character, what is this doing for for you, for the narrator, right? That's a workshop question, dude. No, no what is it? And I'm not saying why is it. I'm saying <laughs> what is it doing for, because I'm wondering why this particular character is getting this moment of a full life story. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I mean, I, so, okay, I, I this chapter um, definitely, like, it talks about, Amelia going through the beginning of her life after high school, which is awful. Um, and it talks about all the different girls that she knew and what happened to them. Um, you know, what happens to Carol the Small, and then what happens to Letty, and then um, what happens to her again, and then finally Carol the Great. And I think that I wanted to bring in an, a moment of the real world, like a little, a little nutshell of the real world into this book where a story like this is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, th th this is, this is the, um, this is the fate of heterosexual women in the, in the forties. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know, I thought it was elegant to do it in one paragraph instead yeah. of writing a whole novel. Yeah. Well now you've met, you keep to, you keep bringing up the past and the forties. Do you in your mind have a time or I honestly didn't read this as our world. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, like, it seems like maybe you're struggling with that as well. Is it part of our world? Is it its own world? Is it in a time? Is it not? I a mean, I'm not, I don't struggle with it because I don't really care. Okay. Um, I think for me, I wanted, I wanted the time that, that they were in school to be the 20s. Oh. Okay. And I wanted the time that she was singing to be in the 30s. And then um, I kind of, fucked around with it and, and messed around in such a way that n neither of the, like, if you, if you looked at it carefully, then the songs would be wrong in the wrong years. And, like, I bring up a jukebox, and there's no jukeboxes in, in before about 1945. And um, so there's all these ways that the time is wrong, 
Um, but I also don't really care. I just okay. kind of wanted to evoke as opposed to setting down. Um, like I wrote a time travel novel once and I had to do all this Take work for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's such a pain in the ass. Um, and so to keep it loose and loosey goosey was easier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mood. 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 Was mood a guiding principle for you or is this something Absolutely. That it was all mood. All mood and environment and atmosphere as opposed to characterization. and. So you were like swerving away from some things and toward other things and those things you were swerving toward. Definitely. Or mood. Yeah. So how does, how does one do that? You mess up the syntax and you, I mean, and the thing that I kept doing was I kept the music at the very front of my head while I was writing. And I thought about like the harp and the, um, the sort of tinny piano and the sound of Florence's voice and all of these, all of these textures of the, almost synesthesia, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of try and make the textures of the book or the textures of the album become the textures of the book. Okay. Um, Mm. I like the idea of it not being our world because I had this vague idea that the school was in England and then the city is in America and then is it New York or Chicago? I don't know. Um, so I like the idea that it's just sort of a, an amalgam of that uh-huh. instead of being definite. Yeah. Does this sound like I was just sort of writing out of my ass and not making any sense? Like, no, no, it didn't sound like that. No, I'm curious about this whole process. Like you said you wrote it in a trance. Did did this come out in a day? Did no. it come out in five days? Did mm. it, okay. No, um, actually what happened was I wrote the first 10 parts of it um, pretty quickly, I think in maybe a month. Okay. Um, and then I got really sick. And um, I was I was ill. Um, I was mentally ill for about eighteen months, mm-hmm. and I couldn't write. Uh-huh. Um, and then I sought help, and I felt better. And um, so I started writing again, and I finished the last two chapters in like a week. It was so terrible because I'd put it off for so long, <laughs> and uh-huh. then finally it just came, and I was done. And after that first draft, how much did you? Very little. Very little. I mean. I, I think we've had this conversation. I am the laziest reviser on the planet. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you don't have to apologize to me. Does it, but, but you're one of these writers who's, who you're editing as you're going along. Yeah. Yes. And I did that a lot with this one. Uh-huh. I would, you know, go back over a sentence four, t- you know, four or six times yeah. and then before I moved on. What's that process like? Because that is so foreign to me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> because I write by hand, uh, so um, and I always leave space. So like my drafts are a mess. They're just you know because my handwriting's not good anyway, and it, you just I just write the hell all over it, and then when I'm typing it into the computer, that is another round of revision. Um, but it's all like it's almost um, episodic. Okay. Like I'm working on this paragraph, and then I'm working on this paragraph, and oh. instead of the whole draft. Okay. So when you're in that process, you're in that moment, are you, ch- are you, are you balancing the entire narrative? You're balancing the album, you're balancing all that, or you try to tunnel vision and just focus on what you're doing and how that sort of works. It works. Both. Oh, okay. Um, I know that that's a, that's a dangerous way to write. I yeah. think it's not a process that I would recommend to anyone, <laughs> um, because it's not guaranteed to turn out good work. Um, yeah. and sometimes I'll come up, I'll, you know, my result will be, really bad and I won't want to go back and revise it because I haven't developed the skill to revise. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> but but you've been at this writing thing for a while. Yeah. This is the first book in print, but it's not the first book you've written. No. It's probably the sixth. Okay, so give us that like how how does this fit? What does it feel like to have the sixth book be the one? 
Well, I've said to a lot of people and on Twitter that um, I never imagined this would be my first book. Uh-huh. Never in a million years. When I started writing this, I was writing it for me. Yeah. I was writing it because I wanted to see if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so in love with the album and I wanted to write a tribute to it. And I had the fact that it's not only not private, but it's the first book I've sold and that people seem to like it is what? Yeah. I can't believe that because I wrote a very marketable urban fantasy novel. <laughs> I wrote... Nobody um, wants that. I've, yeah. I've written a, a really good proposal for a craft book yeah. that is a, is a, it's a good writing craft book. Um, I wrote a horror novel. Like I've written these books that you would think that I would be able to sell, but no, this is the one. What? Why? And I don't know. And that's in part just luck, right? It is 100% luck. I complained about it on Twitter and was solicited by Kern Punked, and that's how it... Uh, you're laughing, but it's true. That's wow. how it happened. Wow. Social media works. It does. Wow. So you had no relationship with them beforehand? No. Uh. No. Um, but so they're lovely. I love working with them. I have... I, I don't know what our time is. I don't know how... If we're I mean, I'll be here forever. Okay, well... We've been talking for about 35 minutes. Okay, well, I don't know when you want to let others ask questions, but I have a few more textual ones, and then I have extra textual ones. Awesome. I'm ready. You want textual or in, uh, extra textual? Do you guys want to hear both, or do you want to hear one or the other? <laughs> both? Okay. You're, you're still in the hot seat. All right. Um, <laughs> buy stuff. <laughs> what? Oh. He has a note that says buy stuff in buy the front stuff. of the book. <laughs> Bisexual stuff. Anyway. I got it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I know. Um, okay, so haunting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a way in which if you're writing about ghosts, it can get corny, right? It can get kind of... Like Scooby-Doo corny? Yeah, maybe. Or, you know, it, it either goes we one would've... way or another in my mind. You're either kind of silly or you're, or you're really scary. And I feel like this book isn't corny and it isn't super scary. Okay. It's like doing this in-between thing. That's That's cool. That's cool. But what I'm wondering is, um, how does the idea of haunting, the idea or concept of ghosts, how is that playing across? Uh, maybe it's a matter of composition, like when you are doing it, or maybe after the fact, when you're looking at it as a whole thing. How do you think this question relates to the idea of the Gothic? Well, uh, you know, my field of expertise is not Gothic literature. Um, so uh, all you're, I know you're about a gothic, theorist with a PhD. Well, that's true, <laughs> uh, but you know they make you specialize in the academy, and uh, my specialty is not that. Um, but you know, I've read enough to know that there's meant to be a castle and stuff. <laughs> uh, okay, because the the thing I'm thinking about is how um, you're right. Ghost stories can be either House on Haunted Hill or they can be Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, but to me, this, the gothic tends to tread the line in the middle there because so often you're nodding, thank you, um, because <laughs> it seems like um, it's it's all wrapped up with love and obsession okay. and, you know, thunderstorms. Um, and I feel like that's how that's how you do it. Instead of turning it into a full-on ghost story or turning it into a full-on satire, you, you sort of make it creepy, and you make it hard, emotionally difficult. Because oh. to me, the ghosts are more tied up with their undone emotional work on Earth okay. than they are tied up with, I have to find who murdered me, you know? Yeah. Um, another way that I could answer this question is um, 
wow, it just flooded right out of my head. I'm going to call that. Call it? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, especially when we get to that chorus uh, or what group yeah. of ghosts. Yeah, I mean chorus is is easiest. Okay. Um, Greek chorus, I think, is technically incorrect. Yeah, not Greek chorus, but more of a kind of it's it, it read to me as a kind as a there's it's a first person plural we 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 this we that's the only one that does first person plural right. Yes, I just remembered what I was going to say. The other thing, the other way to read this is. I realized when I was thinking about romance and love stories that the best romances um, always involve someone dying. Okay. Um, like Wuthering Heights and Titanic and, you know, all, all of the sort of eternal romances, mm -hmm. one of them's got to die. Okay. And I came up with the book with that in mind. Like, what would happen if you had this ideal love affair and it ended because one of them died, but then she didn't really, like, she's still around because she's a ghost. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm being spoiler all over the place, but she, she kills herself. True. With the rocks and the... That's an interesting thing because we don't get much backstory. So that seems, um, that seems to be an omission in the text that's contributing to more of this ambiguity, yeah? Oh, you're looking no, around. No, I'm looking at Matt because this is like... <laughs> Blaming the husband. Sorry. No, no. He knows that I've explained this to, to two different people. Oh, and like, it's... Bad. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's like, to me, there's a shadow story in the book okay. that I thought of but didn't put on the page. Good, yeah. And so if people like figure that out, uh -huh. cool, I don't want to give it away. Okay. But it, that's... Of course, on kills herself for a reason. It's not just because she wants to or because she's a teenager. Okay. That's good. It's interesting. I think people dig here in like how writers... Uh, are are processing when they're when they're composing. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting to think about the ways, the choices you make, and why. Uh, you know, not necessarily w why you're making those decisions, but what those decisions are going to end up doing for yeah. you. And so, you know, it's interesting to me that that's absent. That absence is a presence, and that presence is interesting because it, it helps contribute to this overall thematic. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like when that secret is explained. Because the two, the two people that I've explained it to have both gone, oh. And I think they're happier knowing that, but I do think it takes away from the mystery Yeah, I don't want to know. So I'm, I'm happier just sort of letting it be off the page. Good, good. If you want to know, you can email I d me. Yeah, no, I don't. I really don't. Um, let's see. Um, so, okay, one, one last thing that I, I, re I really was, uh, wanted to hear you, and again, it goes back to that, listening to the album. I don't want to hear about the album and how this other lady says something about concentrate. Why concentration? Because the album. God damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Is it? Because, yeah, because that, to me, that opening track sets the mood for the whole record, okay. and I wanted that track to set the mood for the book. Okay. And I have no idea why whoever it is in the song tells the singer, she told me I should concentrate. Okay. I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. And so in the book, the answer is because if you want to see a ghost, you have to concentrate. concentrate yeah. um, so like that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's such an important touchstone in the book is because the book is about ghosts. Um, but yeah, yeah, it works like a tent pole because there is, there is yeah. it's closer to the end, but it does get explained the idea of concentration needing to have something to do with the ghost yeah. situation. Yeah. All right, extra textual question. Ready. Um, you've talked about gothic, you t obviously the the frastic thing, but what do you were you
re, you know, maybe it's a matter of not in the composition process and maybe it's now in retrospect, but do you feel as though you are writing into a particular literary history? Oh. Uh, and it, or histories, plural? No. I'm interested in being part of the conversation about where the novel is going. Okay. Um, because... Uh, I mean, you you know what that conversation is like. It's hilarious. Um, and the fact that I have written what people call an experimental novel, it doesn't seem that experimental to me, having read stuff. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, uh, I'm excited that I'm able to kind of write what seems like it's a, um, what's the word for that? Uh, like country pop or punk pop crossover, like a crossover book between something indie and something a lot of people are going to be interested in because of the Florence connection. Okay. Um, I think it would be very arrogant of me to say that I'm writing into a tradition. I think that my book is bisexual literature, okay. which is important to me because there's not a lot there's of it. There's not a lot of it. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly queer yeah. or straight. Um, so I'm happy about that. Uh, I don't think I'm saying anything new about the Minotaur. <laughs> um, yeah, he's hot and sexy. Um, yeah, no, I'm okay. sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry. I mean, you, you, I also don't think it's a matter of arrogance to sort of situate your book in a particular lineage. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I mean, I think my next book is more like that. The okay. the essay collection is more like uh -huh. I'm calling on Degata and I'm calling on um, John Haskell. Yeah, and this one is more like I just made it up out of my brain. Okay, <laughs> and heart. And heart. All right, well, I have loads of other things, but probably other people do too. Okay. Um, those of you who ask a question will get a prize. Ooh. I have brought copies of a zine called How to Be Cool. <laughs> I made it with my very own hands. Nice. And I have enough of them that <laughs> you all get one if you ask a question. So anyone who asks a question will get a copy. Do I got to give somebody a, the microphone? Do we know what the No, I'll repeat is? the questions. No? Okay. We'll repeat the questions. Okay. Question. Make it hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the question was um, what I think about mental health memoirs. Um, I have not written one. Um, I have read quite a lot of them. I think that the best memoir calls not just on a singular experience, but on something that's going to help a lot of people. Uh, my friend Erin Carr's book, Strung Out, is coming out, I think, in two days. Um, and she writes about how her mental health struggles as a teenager led her into heroin, even though she was from, you know, a kind of family that would never, you know, it was, she was like rich white girl kind of stuff. And she started doing heroin when she was 14. And it's just bizarre. So I think that her story resonates because she has mental health issues that a lot of other people can relate to, even though her own story is unique. Um, so I think, um, I think mental health memoirs can be useful, but I also think they can be solipsistic, and it's more a luck of the draw, which one you get. <laughs> can I? Um, Say a name. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't I don't know a mental health the question was whether I can share a solipsistic mental health memoir. I don't know a mental health one off the top of my head. I just recently read a book called Blood by Alison Moore that I thought was a failed experiment because I thought she didn't go far enough outside of her own story to relate it to anything else around her. Um, she writes very well, her story's very touching. Um, she's gonna sell a lot of copies because she's a famous country music singer. But um, I felt that the memoir was poorly done because no one asked her, so what? You know, you have to have a so what in memoir. Yeah. I mean, so what is such an important, uh, and but it's also it sounds so cold to say that to someone. If you if you present an essay or a memoir, you have to you hold it up and be like, well, so the fuck what? But and it sounds awful, but you have to have it or you don't have a compelling story. Yes, that's what memoir is about. No, not yet. thing I'll say to that is you're, you're speaking directly to my heart because I've been a book critic for the last two years and it's it's I don't have a column I'm freelance um, and I'm kind of shutting it down now while I work on this but um, to me the gatekeepers are problematic but incredibly necessary and I think part of that is the ability to assess whether a memoir is good whether it's solipsistic whether it's um you know like blood was an interesting case because it was like it told an interest it told a good story but it didn't go far enough so um yeah other questions yeah there are no boring questions <laughs> when you're sitting in this seat um <laughs> The question was what the process is like of writing different narrators, right? Okay. Um, oh, for me. Uh, I try to think about what drives each different narrator. Um, Kurt Vonnegut said every character should want something even if it's just a glass of water. Um, the biggest problem I had in writing this is that Amelia didn't want anything. She just wanted to be with Coruscant. And um, what drove Coruscant was totally different. She wanted the world to be organized and clean. Um, 
So it was very challenging to come up with a way to get Amelia to have wants and needs because I wanted her to be just passive and floating. Um, but that, I mean, that's the short answer is by figuring out what they want and hearing the voice of what they want and that secret sort of inner voice of what they want and what they need. Other questions? Yes, Molly. The question was about how the art came to be and how the art uh, was chosen. Unfortunately, the answer is really boring. Um, my editor asked me to look at a few different Instagram accounts of artists and see if there was anything in there that I thought would be good for a cover. And from the beginning, I wanted illustrations because if you haven't read the book, it's very short and I needed to pad it out <laughs> to book length. Um, so that's part of why there's creative spacing and we have illustrations. Um, it's still worth your money. Uh, and so I found this Instagram account of um, Mariana Magana de Leo. And this, the, the cover was the first image I found of hers and it was so beautiful. I kept looking and I chose the illustrations that most seemed to speak to the book. And my editor acquired them and that was it. And I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and I was like, this is where I want each illustration done. No. Oh, thank you. She said it almost seems like they were created for the book. I think that I, I hope that that's the impression it gives, but it's not true at all. She just, she drew them and I chose them and that was it. Other cues. Can I follow up two of the questions? Yeah, of course. So the mental health question. Yeah. You even discussed mental health issues. Uh, how's that play out in the book? Um, I don't think it does, except that grief, I think, is a kind of madness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, specifically, this, <laughs> this book has almost nothing to do with my own experience, yeah. like almost nothing. Um, but, and, and that's similar. Like, I, I don't think there's a mental health okay. theme, really, yeah. unless readers think it, which is also fine. <laughs> and then the other follow-up. Oh, I'm sorry, did you have one? Well, I just Go ahead, yeah, please. <laughs> oh, you get as many as you want. I just want to roll with it. No, no, please. In my book or in all books and in life? Yeah. 
Oh no, oh no, I can't wait to hear this. That was a very good question. You gotta repeat the question. <laughs> you gotta repeat it into the... Uh, um, yes. So, okay, I think the question is about how we find meaning um, in art on a planet that is, well, I think the human race is barreling toward extinction, the planet will be fine. Um, and whether the answer is to seek more experimental forms. Is that close to what you were asking? So the, the thing you're dancing around in my mind is whether Joseph Campbell's ideas are still valid in a moment when uh, postmodernism is not absurd enough to cover our actual lives. Um, and I think that old kinds of stories have a power that is absolutely impossible to deny. Um, I can't, I can't get enough of Star Wars. I can't. I can watch it all day long for days on end. Um, does that mean that I can't also enjoy uh, Maggie Nelson? Of course not. Um, I think that some experimentalism is peacockery and masturbation. I think that some experimentalism is brave in trying to help us understand the moment that we live in and our brains in that moment. Um, and I'm, as a writer, trying to find a way, as opposed to thinking that I have answers or thinking that I'm forging something noble and brave. I'm more just, I'm interested in language. I'm interested in how people think and how that thinking is changing. Um, beyond that, I have no idea. Um, I don't know how we capture this moment. I think in comedy is the best way, honestly. Sorry. That's, your, that's a huge question. And I think I gave a little tiny answer, and I'm sorry. I mean, I tend to disagree because I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm part of, I'm interested in this sort of new sincerity, um, the, the post-postmodern of, of late Wallace and Saunders. Um, so I tend to reject the, the rank cynicism of Ellis. But, um, but I think we could go on with this conversation forever. And um, 
I want I want to know what Chris wanted to ask. Uh, well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm interested in hearing you talk about that. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, I don't suspect that <clears throat> one sits down and says, "I will write an experimental novel," or does one? I mean, I, I have. Have you? But I have failed a lot. Okay. Um, so what does that mean when you? I mean, when you when you when you're working on ceremonials, it's not in your mind like I'm gonna be experimental. It is in your mind. No, it was not in my okay. mind. It was the the way that I felt was best to tell the story was by skipping narrators and okay. and shaving off the language. Okay. Okay. But I also don't think that this book can change the world. I mean, I don't <laughs> think that's the point of this book. Um, well, you had brought up being a critic. Um, I wasn't going to bring that up unless you brought it up, and you brought it up. So how does being a critic influence you being the criticized? Alana Massad asked me that, and I didn't know how to say it doesn't. Okay. Um, to me, uh, being, what critics do in terms of their job, I fully understand the pressures that are on them. I understand that there are a lot of publications that won't take negative reviews and that there are a lot of publications that are only interested in juicy negative reviews. Yeah. I understand that there are publications that desperately want to cover as many books as they can, but they can't find reviewers who are any good. I'm the editor of two publications yeah. for reviews. Um, <laughs> and like I, I, I get what they're operating under. Um, I came. I brought this book into the world fully prepared for a dozen reviews that said this book is incomprehensible, yeah. <laughs> and no one has said that, which is great. Um, so I, they don't really cross over, you know. It's okay, a different so, mode. Okay, so I'm going to follow up again something that you said because uh, this conversation y'all are having is making me think about audience, right? Um, and, you know, we owe an audience something or we don't. Oh, no. Uh, no, 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 no. And so I'm curious, too. One, are you thinking about audience when you're composing? Are you thinking about audience when you're editing? Are you thinking about audience when you publish? When does audience come into the conversation for you, or do they ever? Um, it hugely varies depending on what I'm writing. Okay. If I'm writing a review, the first word on the page, I think about audience. Okay. This book, I didn't think about audience once until it was in the world. Okay. Um, for, my, uh, for my experimental essays, something in between, um, usually I'm trying to sort of figure out who is going to love this aside from me, um, which is a hard question. Uh, but it, ju it just depends. Yeah. So for this one, audience isn't a part of it. No. I had no interest in what other people would think. Okay. But now I love that people are telling me what they think. <laughs> Okay. If someone walked up to me and said, this book sucks, I'd be like, cool, buy something else. Yeah. But at least they read it. Yeah. If they say it sucks. Yeah. yeah. Question. Yeah. Don't be shy. You get a little book. Yeah, you get. What, what was it? <laughs> what was the question? I was going to ask about, uh, I was going to ask about her time in prison. Yeah. That's okay. What else, Jason? Yeah. Keep, Oh, yeah. I was never scathing to anyone who didn't deserve it. Um, I, I, um, yeah, no, I thought that people would think it made no sense. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ultra pretentious for a minute and yeah. say, 
Um, I was thinking when I when I started structuring the book, when I ordered the chapters, I was thinking of The Sound and the Fury. Oh. Because if you've read The Sound and the Fury, the first chapter makes no sense. And then the second chapter makes a little more sense. And yeah. then the third chapter makes more. And then the fourth part is like just basic prose. Yeah. So I was thinking about how Amelia at the beginning is so trapped in grief that she makes no sense. Oh. And eventually the book gets more com- more comprehensible until the 10th chapter is like super easy to read. Yeah. Um, but I understand how a lot of people start The Sound and the Fury and they're like, what? And they never finish. Right. So I was expecting that. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Anything else? Cool. Thank you guys so much for oh, coming. She's got another Ple- question. Okay, one more question. No, one more. <laughs> oh no, no. I just I don't like I don't like yelling about bread Stanellis because there are people who are paid much better than I am to do it. <laughs> Late Wallace, David Foster Wallace, but not early Wallace. Um, you should read Thomas Nagel on, um, uh, I can't remember the name of his essay about, he's a philosopher, N-A-G-E-L. He, um, wrote a response to the myth of Sisyphus that I found way more palatable than Camus, um, because Nagel is like, no, Sisyphus isn't happy, are you kidding? But his, his response to it, I, I like a lot more. Cool. You think Sisyphus would be happy. I, I, you said something the other night that I was like, you would like to roll that rock up that hill. Maybe. Thank you all for coming. I will, I will be signing, so please come up with your books if you have them. Yay! You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.